Dear Grandma. Dear close friend. Dear girl I saw at a rope score. Dear guy who knows what he did. Dear mom. Dear, 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 dearest. Narrators can't be trusted. This is Dearest. I'm Claire Brennan. Storytelling is an art of carving out a narrative from the complexity of human experience. A letter is a story with one perspective. No matter how well it's told, it's just one part of something larger. Every other voice gets left out. Every living person in it becomes a character, every real place a set piece. Memories are now plot points, and reality and fiction begin their hazy blend into one another. If you've written Dearest a letter, or you're going to, and I really hope you do, then you already know this. In addressing your letter, in setting your thoughts to writing and sending them out into the world, you've told your story. And maybe whoever hears it, hears themselves in it. They share your experience, and by hearing you tell it, they've learned something new about themselves. It's a wonderful thing to hear someone else tell a story that matches your own. It dispels the isolation, reminds us that no matter how strange our experience is, how alone we might feel, someone else has gone through it before. Or maybe the listener aligns closer with the addressee. They might be sitting there, quietly defending the part of the story that's been left untold. Perhaps, even, the one listening is the one you've written to. That's part of the risk, isn't it? Even with perfect anonymity, that one person might hear this, might put it together. Maybe you, dearest listener, have been sent one of our letters. What would happen then? We won't worry about that. Right now, we have slices of whole stories to savor. This week, we reminisce on childhood crushes, talk to a twin, and sort through the cloudy mess of putting emotions into words. So listen closely. My only dearest. You were the first, the actual first to have habits that made me weak in the knees and sloppy in my head. You spoke to me in the kind of phrases that made poetry. I was a new kind of beautiful. I had never been held in the way that you held me. Like, letting go would mean falling off the earth completely. You were the first. The hardest thing to think about now is that in those moments I was capable of infinite tenderness. I could hold all of you. I could touch every part of mine to every part of yours. We were a cult following of each other. We had a cat. You were the first, and holy fuck, I loved you. Like, so much. Like, how do I like anyone this much ever much? I hope that you knew that. Loving you was intoxicating. And I have this wicked, addictive personality. I can't be around chocolate without finishing an entire bar. Ice cream? Gone. Cheese? Jesus. And when I knew you, vodka. Oh my god, I also loved vodka. I recently had a friend go to hospital. 
He's been in and out a few times in the past couple of months. About a week before he was admitted for the first time, he was over at mine. I didn't realize how drunk he was until we were inside the house, and I just remember watching him and not recognizing who I was looking at. And I was like, this is what that was. And suddenly I was back in our living room when I stumbled in, hit the floor, and told you I was moving out. I was reading notes I left on my whiteboard that I'd written the night before and didn't remember writing about how miserable I was and how many things I needed to change in my life, but I couldn't. Because I just couldn't give them up. I liked them too much. They were true. The notes. I was miserable. And I knew. I recognized him completely. I knew that look. This was the other side of the glass. This is when you've seen the other side of the glass much too often. I used to tell you I was trying to pickle myself, and all you knew to say was to not. How do you really respond to that, though? And we fought. It was so awful. All of those nights weepy, flirty, angry nights. Nights that I didn't come home until 6am. Nights you didn't. Nights we were so damn sad. And I never got to say thank you for taking care of me on those nights. Not really. And I wonder if I had tried to stop or if I hadn't read the plays you started writing about manic, suicidal, anxiety-ridden drunk girls... Or if either of us were able to actually talk about our mental health issues, or feelings, or any of these things. Occasionally, I wonder. Not for long. You told me I would never be happy. And I so thought that was true. It was, for a while. But it's different now. Every single day is a work in progress. But I'm doing the work. We haven't spoken in two years. I haven't had a bottle of vodka stocked in my freezer for one. And I've had half a candy bar in the fridge for over a week now. And I'm okay with all of that. Dear actress, I remember seeing you on the TV and thinking you were beautiful. You were everything I was not. You were amazing, loud, confident, and so you. And I didn't know it at first, but I felt so happy when I would see you on the screen. It wasn't until later did I realize that I had a crush on you, and man, that fucked me up. So thanks for helping me realize I was bi. Dear sister, I love you, and it kind of sucks. When you're twins with someone, it's hard to define that relationship to other people. And boy, do they ask. It's annoying. But it's also not what this is about. 
all you can really say is that it's someone who knows you as well as they can, having grown up with you their entire life. It's having a sibling. It's having a twin. I don't know what it's like to not have a twin. They don't understand because, yes, we finish each other's sentences, and yes, we both talk at the same time sometimes, and yes, we're pretty similar, but also we're not. We're both completely separate individuals. We're both never going to know exactly what's going on in the other's head. It's wild how people can assume they know you because they know your other half, which is really only okay when twins say it. You are my heart. It fucking sucks that people are constantly comparing us. Constantly saying, oh, she did 1% better than you on that test. Or you're better at singing than her. Or your nose points up a little more. And maybe you're not completely the same. Maybe one is better than the other. Which is not true. You don't get to weigh two people against each other just because they're close to the same. It is so hard to have a rival that you love with your whole entire heart when you have to do just as good. Because if you don't, you're the bad one. The stupid one, the disappointing one, and it sucks. Because you are not disappointing. You're not stupid, and I know that. I am not disappointing. I am not stupid just because of one percentage point. I know that. Why is it okay to categorize people by subliminal traits when they're twins? It's hard to know that your best friend in the entire world is also under this intense pressure to be better so that they're not the dumb one. Neither of us is better. You are my heart, and I love you. Sister. To the young writer who left before his time, It's been a little over two years now. You're supposed to be starting your junior year of high school in the fall. You should be lead drummer in the marching band. You should be celebrating the publication of the short story you wrote. You should be sending me excited updates on the lengthy trilogy you've been writing. You should be enjoying your summer vacation by swimming in the community swimming pool and and going to family reunions and watching the fireworks show. You should be going on adventures and exploring places you've never been before. Maybe this year would have been the year your parents would have taken you to Japan with them. Maybe you could have collected some more special edition Pokemon cards. Maybe you'd be chatting excitedly to me about your new girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever it is with whom you might have fallen in love. Maybe you'd be listening to me as I told you that I got accepted to a great college with a major in art and design. Maybe you'd be much taller than me. Not that that's much of an accomplishment. You should be 16 by now should have had a big party with all your friends and family and eaten way too much cake and collected money because you survived another year. But you haven't survived another year. You didn't survive last year or the year before. It's been two and a half years since you took a breath, and I blame myself every day. I'm sorry I didn't recognize the signs... I read your stories, I got your emails, I saw the tired look in your eyes. 
I'm sorry I lived much too far away to do anything about it. I'm sorry I couldn't tell your family, your friends, somebody who could have helped you. I'm sorry I couldn't save you from yourself. I remember screaming on September 7th, 2016, when I answered the phone and it was your mother. I remember thinking, oh God, he'll never finish his trilogy. I won't get to say Merry Christmas to him this year. What will his friends do? I remember thinking, what have I done? I know now that it's not my fault. I've had two and a half years to think about it. But I still struggle with the guilt and the blame. I knew you, and I loved you like a little brother. And I did nothing to save you. I hope you are in heaven. Or are at least at peace now. I love you. Dear best friend, I am in love with you, but not like that. Or maybe kind of sort of like that, but not. Feelings are confusing. We say, I love you a lot, and that's confusing too, because it's sort of this long-standing inside joke. But we also sort of mean it, and we joke about marrying and being wives, and it's a joke. But also, I wouldn't mind being married to you. No sex. I am definitely not in love with you like that, but just being together until death do we part sounds kind of nice. And I suppose we could and will do that part just without the vows. When we cuddle or banter or hang out or just talk, I feel complete. I feel love for you. And maybe it's a friendship sort of love and maybe it's a romantic sort of love and maybe it's sort of both. I know you love me, too, as your friend. You do things for me you wouldn't do for anyone else, just to cheer me up. And I do the same for you, because that's what we do. But I don't think we've ever said, I love you, except as a joke. And maybe I should make that more clear, not to make things weird between us. I really don't expect to get married. But just so you know how much you really mean to me, because... I love you, and you're the best friend a person could ask for. With love, your best friend. The voices you've heard on today's episode were those of Kathleen Neiman, Emma Boyden, Alex Goodman, Andrew Cutler, and Kara Schultz. Dearest relies totally on our listeners' letters. So send us yours. You can email us at dearestpodcast at gmail.com or submit at dearestpodcast.com, where you can also find out more about us, our live events, and sign up for our newsletter. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dearest Podcast. The podcast is produced in Chicago, Illinois by me, Claire Brennan, and Sarah Hurd. 
We'd like to thank the composer of this episode's music, Chris Day, our graphic and social team of Dom Kindler, Sarah Barnett, and Monami Maxted, and you, dearest listener. Thank you for listening. This has been a dirty volume production. This has been a dirty volume production. <laughs> this has been. This has been. This has been. This has been a dirty, dirty volume, volume production. production. <laughs> okay, I think we got it. <laughs> I have no idea what's in there. <laughs>